0: to be with you yeah amen let's give God some praise it's great to be with you in the house of the Lord on this Sunday before Thanksgiving anybody else excited about this time of year I think most of these students are like out of school now for a whole week so I thought I'd get some more cheering in this section but I don't know maybe some of them still have to go back for a day or two uh, I want to invite you today, uh, we're going to get right into the Word of God, and, and I, I want to acknowledge the, the obvious, where we're at on our calendar, it is the week before Thanksgiving, and I know a lot, for a lot of you that means crazy planning, uh, some of you it means you're going to be traveling, uh, one of the busiest travel weekends of the year. For some of you it means people are traveling to you, uh, it means you're getting that extra card table out of the closet, and you're setting up you know, space to fit everybody in. And uh, And so as we're getting ready to move into this, not just Thanksgiving, but a season of of gathering around tables and sharing meals with family and friends. I want to just, I want to let you know today that the table is significant. I mean, all through the word of God, it's significant. And I'll show you that in a moment, but but even in our own lives, it's significant. In fact, uh, Steve's sitting right up here. We were talking yesterday after our men's breakfast about how, you know, there's some guys that, you know, they'll just... uh, They'll just sit in church, and I mean, they won't say a word. They're stoic, and it's like, you know, just, just, they won't talk to anybody. But then you get them around the table, right? You get a conversation going. You put some bacon in front of them. It's amazing what the Lord can do through a slab of bacon. I tell you what, I just feel God, right? I just like, anyway, but we saw it yesterday at our men's breakfast. When you gather around the table, People open up. There, there's, there's a level of connection that just doesn't really translate the same way in rows as it does in uh, times around the table. In both the Old and the New Testament, in both the Old and the New Covenant, what you see in the Word of God is, is a significant emphasis on the table. In fact, when, when in the old covenant, when God established uh, corporate worship for his people and he told Moses, he said, I want you to build a tabernacle. This is going to be the place where my literal presence is going to dwell between the cherubim uh, over, the, over the mercy seat on the altar. Like my presence will be there. Do you know what the next thing is he told him to make after he gave him instructions for that place? A table. Read it, Exodus 25. The next thing he says is, I want you to put a table there. And on that table, I want there to be a a loaf of bread. I always want bread on the table. And we're going to call it the bread of my presence. In other words, as you come near to my presence, I want you to have a table. And I want you to always have a reminder on the table that my presence is there with you. So every time the priest would come in, there was was a, a physical representation of fellowship with God you can come to my table and i will satisfy your needs there and then you get to the new covenant and jesus tells his disciples i'm i'm bringing a new covenant and do you remember where he told them that at at a table he, he passes the bread and the wine. And he says, I'm establishing a new covenant with you in my blood. This, this is what this table will forever represent. And then he gave instructions for the church to keep coming back to that table. Which, by the way, we're going to do that this morning at the end of this message. We're going we're gonna to celebrate the table of the Lord. It's an invitation to always come back to the table, the place where he established the new covenant we have. And then you go to the end of your Bible. Revelation chapter 19 shows us a picture of the culmination of human history where all of the saints, living and dead, will come together and we will be in the Lord's presence. And do you know what we're going to be doing? We're going to be sitting at the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's right. When you look at the the fulfillment of things to come, it's a table and it's God's people from every tribe and tongue gathered together to celebrate in his presence. Now, as Dr. Luke wrote his gospel in the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, what strikes me about that gospel is the significance that he placed on the table. In fact, the meals that are recorded in Luke's gospel are are kind of the main course. And so I got to thinking about it this week. If Luke's gospel were a diner, you would find 10 tables set up, 10 tables that he invites us to come to so that we can understand better our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. So for the next few weeks, what I'd like to do is just invite you into Luke's gospel, invite you into his diner, if you will, and give you a seat At his table. The first table, if you're a note taker, is a table of acceptance. And the story is found in Luke chapter number five. Let's go to table number one for a few moments today. Beginning in verse 27, it says, After this, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Now, can, can I just encourage you to just put yourself in the story for a moment? It's, it's important that you know that Levi is a tax collector because tax collectors were like the, the scum of Jewish society. Now, now, a decent income, you can make a good living doing it, and obviously you have to be educated. Those aren't the reasons people look down on them. The reason the Jews look down on the tax collectors is because they weren't collecting the, the taxes to improve uh the Jewish people, or Jerusalem. They were actually Jews that were working for the Roman Empire, collecting taxes from the Jews, lining their own pockets to get wealthy, and then giving to the Roman Empire. So people did not like tax collectors. And so we come to this table, and we see Jesus, when he sees Levi, he says, follow me, and he gets up. It says he left everything and he followed him so this is a radical moment this is Jesus calling somebody up calling them out and and they leave everything and some of you this morning you you could say that was my story like my life was going in this direction this was my career path this was the 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 trajectory of the relationship I was in at the time this is what I thought was going to be happening but Jesus called my name does anybody have a moment like that in your life you could say that moment changed everything for me When Jesus called my name, my whole story went in a different direction. I would not be where I am today. I would not be doing what I'm doing today if I hadn't had that moment of clarity. He left everything. Now look at verse 29, it says, "'Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, "'and a large crowd of tax collectors and others "'were eating with them.'" I I love this moment because Levi is like a, a brand new Christian that don't, they don't know anything about like Christian etiquette. They haven't learned like the nuances of, you know, how we, how, and I admit it, when you're here long enough, you, we have like our own subculture, you know, it's like, like we speak Christianese, you know, like we have our own like, uh, words and, and things that we say, and, and, and but I love when people get saved, I mean like radically saved, and they were heading over here, they were hellbound, and Jesus called them, and now they're following Jesus, and they don't know, they don't know any of the decorum of Christianity. That's Levi. Like, he just decided to follow Jesus. He leaves everything, and then he says he throws a great banquet for Jesus. But the people that he invites to the banquet are all the people that he just left. Like, he's only been saved for about two minutes, so he's like, all of his friends are tax collectors. And others, it says, we don't get clarity on the others, but all of his friends are just that type of people. And he's like, come on, guys, everybody. I met this guy, Jesus, he's great. He has no idea. He is completely offended. Every other follower of Jesus, like in the community, they're like, I can't believe you invited those people to come to a banquet in Jesus' honor. We, we don't do that. That's not, that's not the thing to do. You know, in, in various cultures in the New Testament, Eating a meal with somebody was so much more about, than about just sustenance. Eating a meal with somebody, dining with someone, was an indication of solidarity with them. Like If you, if you were going to eat with somebody, what you were saying in that act of breaking bread with them is, I identify with you. Essentially, if you invite someone to your table, what you're saying is, you're my people. And so that's what's happening in this moment. And, and Levi's living in, in two realities. He's now a follower of Jesus, but all the people that are still his people are, are not the kind of people that Jesus' people wants to be with. And he says, I'm gonna throw this incredible banquet for Jesus. But, but here's what Jesus says later in, in Luke chapter nine. He says, if you're ashamed of me before other men, I'll be ashamed of you before my father in heaven. And that's what I love about like new, new converts, just radical just like, I, I, Jesus changed my life and I'm gonna tell everybody. I, I want everybody to come and meet the man that changed my life. Here's the good news for us. When we sit at table number one in Luke's diner, it's understanding this. If you're not ashamed of him, he's not ashamed of you. Levi throws this great banquet He says, I want to bring all my tax collector friends and I'm going to have a banquet to honor Jesus. And Jesus shows up. He comes to the party. You say, what's Jesus like? He's like this. He comes to the party. Yes. He shows up. In fact, Jesus says in Revelation chapter three and verse 20, he says, here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them in other words i will identify with them if you answer my call follow me i will come in and i will say you're my people jesus is not concerned with the optics of religious people he said you can come in you can sit at my table and i love i love verse 29 in the story we're looking at because it says a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with him now now if 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 some of us were writing this, let's be honest, if some of us were writing this story about what went down at table number one, we would say, Jesus said to Levi, the tax collector, follow me. And he left everything and everyone And he followed him. And then he got new friends. And he stopped hanging out with all those other ones. And and he changed the way he talked. And he changed the way he walked. And then he had a great banquet. And he invited Jesus and all the other church folks to the potluck. Because that feels so safe and sterile and Christian. But that's not what happened. And Jesus he went to the party. Look at verse 30. It says, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect, they complained to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Like they didn't go to Jesus, you by the way, like, you know, they go, go around Jesus. Like, let's go, you know, let's go ask the connections pastor. Why are we doing that? right? He's going, yeah, yeah. Everybody goes to him with the complaints. So like, <laughs> but, but Jesus answers the question anyway. And by the way, I'm no Jesus in this analogy. I'm just having fun. We're just having fun. You know, we do this for a living. It's got to be fun. Jesus jumps in the conversation and he answers the question. He said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In other words, if, if, you'll, if you'll answer the call, if you'll follow me, he says, I'm not ashamed of you. I'll come and I'll sit at your table. I'll identify with you. Now, let me just turn, turn the tables a little bit and ask you to think about your own table. Maybe even your table this week. This story, this moment ought to challenge us as Christians, as followers of Christ. Let me just ask you this question. What does it take for somebody to get a seat at your table? Let me just phrase it this way. If it's harder to get a seat at your table than it is to get a seat at Jesus' table, you might want to reevaluate your self-perception. Yeah, I I know you're not saying amen because that hurt. I'm sorry. I just, but like, that's the truth, right? And that's the way it is a lot of times. You know, our our world, uh, for the most part, gets Jesus. It's us they don't understand. (laughs) Like, he makes sense. I'm not sure about those people that are with him at his table. And I'm not so sure I have a seat at that table. But Jesus offers a seat of acceptance. If somebody wants to follow him, he says, that's enough make room make a seat at the table it's a good reminder for us church that we all got to the table by grace and the difference between you and the one coming in the door next is that you just got here first but we all got a seat by grace let's go to the second table in luke's diner it's found in chapter 7 And this is almost a contrast to the first one because the first one happened in the home of a guy that he was rough around the edges and he hadn't been serving the Lord very long at all. And he's surrounded with a bunch of sinful people. But this next meal happens in the home of a religious leader in the community. In Luke chapter seven, we see table number two is a table of forgiveness. Look at it with me, chapter seven, verse 36. It says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, He went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. Jesus is comfortable there. Just like he's comfortable with the tax collector, he's comfortable to recline at the table of a religious person. But verse 37 says a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. And so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them. And poured perfume on them. If you're trying to picture this story sitting at a dinner table as we would, it's hard to follow. But you got to understand in that culture, they, they didn't sit up on chairs at a high table. The table was down on the ground. And they would lie on cushions with their feet away from the table, propped up on one elbow. And so Jesus is reclining at the table. And this woman is here standing at his feet. Crying these crocodile tears of repentance and, and, and wetting his feet with her tears. And then she stoops down and begins to wash his feet with her hair. And she's kissing his feet. And then she breaks open this jar of expensive perfume and begins to anoint his feet. Verse 39 says, When the Pharisee, who's his host, who had invited him saw this. He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. This this is the the religious spirit that says, I can't believe you would let someone like that come in here. But the word of God says in Psalm 51, verse 17, "A, a broken heart and a contrite spirit the Lord will not despise if you come with a pure heart if you come with a heart of repentance like this woman does he says I'm gonna always welcome you in you can come to this table and and that's what Jesus invitation is in this moment to this woman he he just allows her to just bring her worship I'm sure it looked awkward everybody's sitting around the table like what's what's happening right now but Jesus just receives her, her sincerity. It maybe doesn't fit in with the, with the culture of the room. Maybe she seems a little out of step. But He knows her heart, and He accepts her act of worship in this moment. And that's God's invitation to you and me, by the way. That's the narrative all through the word of God. That's why that table right outside of of the glory of God in in the Old Testament tabernacle, that's why it sat there with the bread on the table. It was God saying to that priest, I want to nourish your soul. You are welcome here. There is always something at my table for you. Here's God's message. Every time you come to my table, I want you to be reminded that my presence is there. And so they would come to the table and they would see the bread of his presence and God welcomes each and every one of us today. His presence is there. He wants to actually bring nourishment to your soul. And Luke reminds us, and I love this. Luke reminds us in this story that Jesus' responds, but but the response to your need is at the level of your longing. Like the, the man that was hosting the dinner, no doubt had needs, but he wasn't, he wasn't looking for Jesus to fulfill those needs. This woman comes in and she's looking for Jesus. She, she's looking at him as, as everything. Like I, he, he's everything. She, she breaks the, the box of the expensive perfume and she pours, she pours it all out. This is not a measured act of worship. She pours it all out. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, Blessed are you if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you will be filled. You'll be filled if you come hungry. And this Pharisee, this religious person, he can't even imagine that Jesus would let this woman come to the table. And so Jesus takes this opportunity to teach a valuable lesson. Don't miss the lesson of table number 2. In verse 40, Jesus said to him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. And Jesus begins to tell a story at the dinner table. He says two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. 500 denarii, that's like the equivalent of two years wages. And 50 denarii is like one or two months wages. He says neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both of them. Now, Which one of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And in the Bible says he turned towards the woman who is weeping and washing his feet. And he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house and you didn't give me any water for my feet, but she's been wetting my feet with her tears and she's wiped them clean with her hair. You you didn't give me a a kiss, the the customary uh, cultural greeting. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet and then he makes this application to the story therefore i tell you her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown but whoever has been forgiven little loves little in other words her her longing her response is indicative of the revelation that she has come to that her sins are forgiven there's a lot of people that, that are apprehensive in coming to God in worship because they're still carrying the guilt and the weight of their own condemnation. You're not feeling the freedom that's been granted to you, and so you're still, you're still coming like a, like, a, like a debtor, feeling like I, st- I still owe more. Like I, I, can't, I can't just celebrate. I can't just relish in his goodness. I can't just weep and pour out my offering because I still owe more. And she's coming fully redeemed, fully cleansed of her sins. And he says, You can come to the table. And then the next thing he says to her in verse 48, then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. They're forgiven. So this is not only a table of acceptance that Jesus offers us that says, Look, if if you wanna, if you want to come after me, you can come. Just as you are. It's also a table of forgiveness. It says, if you come just as you are and you come as she did, relying fully on the mercy of God, relying on the goodness of God, you'll be not only accepted, you'll be forgiven. Your sins will be washed away. Now, let's let's turn the table and, and think about our own for a moment. Is your table a table of forgiveness? Is your table a table that, that people can come and, and have their, their slate wiped clean? Or, or are you still holding on to and holding over people, the things that they've done against you? I, I, I don't wanna pry into your life. I, I know that, that, especially around the holidays, these can be difficult times. These, these can be awkward moments where, where tension exists in families. And, and I know it's not always up to you and it's not always on you, but let's just look about the part that is. Just for a moment, ask yourself Is my table a table of forgiveness? It's the Pharisee in this story, he's depending on his own goodness and not God's grace as a means to being accepted. So because of that, he couldn't imagine Jesus giving her a seat at the table because his only, his only access to God was his goodness. And he, here's, here's the principle that we come away with. If, if, if the only way I get into God's presence is by my goodness, if that's how I get a seat at his table, then don't be surprised when not many other people deserve a seat at my table. Because I'm always measuring up and measuring against other people to make sure that I, I earn my, I, I should be here. And if I should be here and I know I'm not perfect, where's the line? Usually we draw the line just a little lower than where we're standing. I don't want to be prideful. I don't want to say I'm too good, but I'm good enough. So anybody slightly less than me doesn't deserve a seat. Jesus says, my table is a table of acceptance, and my table is a table of forgiveness. Let's go to table number three quickly. It's in Luke chapter nine. What we find here is a table of provision. Provision. This is the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. So this this is by far the the longest table in the diner. And this story is told by all four of the gospel writers. Luke chapter 9, verse 12 says, late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him and they said, send the crowd away so that they can go to the surrounding villages and the countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. Jesus had been teaching these people. They're out in the countryside. It's been a long time. They said, send them away so they can get some food, get some rest. But verse 13, Jesus replied, you give them something to eat. And they answered We only have five loaves of bread and two fish Unless we go and buy food for all this crowd So what we see in this moment right here This is human reasoning This is is just doing the math I mean they're looking at this crowd of people And they're like The the most logical thing to do the, The most practical thing The reasonable thing The solution we should look at is Just send them away But I believe Luke brings us to the biggest dinner table in the diner to teach us that God is not limited by our resources. He's not limited by our resources. And since he's not limited by our resources, when we walk in obedience to his will, guess what? We're not limited by our resources. You feed them. And then he does something miraculous. He takes the five loaves and the two fish from them. Now, we don't get all of the nuance in Luke's gospel, but when you read all four gospel writers, we understand that when Jesus said, you feed them, they actually went out to try to figure out who had some food. So, can you just imagine that? They're, they're asking. There's like 5,000 just men. They didn't even count the women and children. I mean, there could have been 12,000, 15,000 people there. We don't know. They go around and they ask all the people who has food and they come back with one boy's lunch. We got five loaves and two fish. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? Nobody, no other moms packed lunch for any of these kids? She's the only mom. Like all these men out here, nobody thought to bring a snack. And then I thought, you know, that can't, that's, that's not even possible. The reality is they went out and they tried to ask 5,000, 10,000, 15,000 people, who's willing to share? All we came back with was one boy's lunch. We got this whole crowd of people. They're all thinking, man, if I give you my lunch, what am I going to eat? Look how many people are out here. I don't have enough in this bag to feed all these people. What I have wouldn't even make a dent in the need. So rather than do something, I'm going to keep it for myself and do nothing. They come back to Jesus. We got got one (laughs) boy's lunch. And then Jesus does something amazing. He says, that'll do. Look at verse 16, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. I love, I love this verse. There, there, there's four things that I see in this one verse that I just think are so incredible. And the first one is whatever you give Jesus, he'll take like, Aren't you glad that, that when you stand before God one day, when I stand before God, he's not going to ask you, why didn't you give me as much as that person over there? He, he's not going to look at you and measure you up against some, uh, some Bible scholar and say, you know, why didn't you teach like they taught? No, he's going to ask you, what did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with what I gave Well, I didn't have much yet, yeah, but what did you do with what you had? It's the parable that Jesus gave of the, the five-talent servant and the two-talent servant and the one-talent servant. He, he said the, the owner of the vineyard, he, he gave them that and he left. And when he came back, he held them accountable for what they did with what they had. And the one who had five talents, he invested it and he turned it into ten. He doubled it. The one that had two talents, he invested it. He turned it into four. And what I love about that story is Jesus doesn't say, you know, this guy brought 10 talents. Let's give him the highest seat of honor. Well, this guy, he only brought back four. No, they got the same exact reward. He said, you doubled what I gave you. And to the one that faced judgment, the one who only had one talent, he buried what he had. He didn't use it. He didn't invest it. And, and so and so, God takes what you give him. He doesn't ask you for more than what you have, but what he says is what you have is enough. So he takes it. The second thing is not only does he take what you give him, but what he takes, he blesses. Oh, somebody needs to hear this today. God, when you give what you have, he blesses it. There's a lot of people that they, they, they hear the church talk about the principle of, of tithing and say, you know, we, we want to give God first. So, out of everything that God has given us, we give the tithe to the Lord. And I've had so many conversations with Jesus loving people that say, I just can't afford to tithe. I just can't do it. And the reason they can't do it is because they're, they're saying, it's five loaves, two fish. Look at all my needs and they're discounting the blessing that happens when we transfer it out of our hands into his hands. What God takes, he blesses. So the math going into his hand is not the math coming out of his hand. And whatever you give, he'll take. And what he takes, he blesses. He puts his favor on it. He, he, he He blesses it and favors it and makes it prosperous. But then the next thing that happens is what he takes, he blesses, but what he blesses, he breaks. Well, that doesn't sound as fun. But some of you need to give God what you have because what you have actually has you. You're a slave to that job, you're a slave to that paycheck. You're a slave to that talent or that skill. You God gave you a skill and an ability, but now it's everything to you. I mean, if it's overlooked, if you don't get the response, and some of you, God's, God's graced you with, with beauty, but you're, you're a slave to that. And so, so you're living in independence of the likes, of, the, of the, the affirmation and the validation that comes from other people. You need to give what God gave you back to him. He's going to bless it, but he's also going to break it. He's going to break the power that it has over your life. He's, he's going to break, you know, there's nothing wrong with money. Money is not evil. The Bible says the love of money is the root of evil. And, and for, for some of you, if you would just trust God with what you have, he would break its power over your life, Amen. break your love for it. And, and it's more than that. It's not just breaking strongholds. It's, it's, he, he, he breaks what you give him like a horse is broken. A broken horse science tells us a broken horse is actually stronger than a wild horse. Because its power is controlled, its power is harnessed and directed. It brings focus to the strength. When it's broken, it's like it's like having a flashlight that lights up a little child's room at night versus having a laser that cuts through steel. There's power in focus. And God wants to take what you'll give him and he'll bless what he takes, but he'll break what he blesses. And then fourthly, what he breaks, he multiplies. He multiplies. He, He brings increase in it. Philippians 4.19 declares to us, and my God shall supply all of your needs. How? According to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. See, a lot of you are looking for the blessing of God according to your bank statement. But God says, I don't bless you according to your bank statement. I bless you according to the riches of glory in Christ Jesus. In, In other words, an unending reservoir of resources. Let me ask you about our table today, about your table. Are you living out of an abundance that comes from God's supply or are you living out of the limitation of your own resources? Because it's, it's, it skews your worldview. It skews the way we see people. The truth is it's really easy to have the attitude that says send them away. But the heart of the Father says you feed them. Now, and I'm, I'm, I'm an analytical person, like to a fault sometimes. I, you know, right away I think like, man, that's, that's just not possible. That's not practical. We can't, we can't do that. That just doesn't even make sense. I mean, it might preach well, but it doesn't make sense. If I don't have it, I don't have it. But Jesus is looking for a church today that understands the blessing of having the bread of his presence on the table. So every time we enter into his presence, we pass by his provision. Even this morning, as you lifted your hands and and worshiped and, and said, God, we praise you to come into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise, you walk right past the table and there is every provision that you need in your life. Right there in his presence. In his presence, there is fullness of joy, David said. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore there's a table of provision for us. And Jesus is looking at the church today and he's saying, "You give them something to eat." I heard a story and if if you're nervous about the time, we're only getting to 3 tables today. You're like, "I think he said there's 10 tables." I got to fall the turkey. I saw a story in the news this week. Maybe you saw it too. There, there was a lady whose uh, her car caught on fire. She, she got out. She was safe, uh, but the car, like inside, it was just all burnt up, like melted leather, dashboard, seats, everything. But she, she took a video when she got back in the car. In the cup holder, in the center console, she had one of those uh, Stanley water cups. It. She she picked it up. She was like, it it survived. And she picked it up and she shook it. It still had ice in it. She's like, this is amazing. My Stanley really has a lifetime guarantee. i like, it this is amazing. Well, you should have seen the comments. People are like, Stanley needs to send you some free merch. Like they they need to hook you up with a new cup, you know. They need to Well, the CEO of the Stanley company saw the video and put out a video response and was like, hey, we stand by our lifetime guarantee. And we are definitely gonna send you some Stanley merch. Like, we're we're gonna, we're gonna hook this lady up. But in his video, he said, but we really wanna do something more than that. We've never done this before and maybe we'll never do it again. But... We want to replace your car. And I mean, what a what an awesome radical gesture. Now, again, I'm analytical, and some of you are too, and you're thinking, like, well, yeah, that's great marketing. Right? I mean, that car doesn't cost a fraction of what a Super Bowl commercial cost. Like, hey, just go viral on the internet, you know? That's where my mind goes. I'm like, this is just good marketing. Like, that's just a smart decision. You just do that, right? And how easy it would be for me to get in that space and go right back to that place of pushing back from the table of God's provision and saying, send them away. I mean, yeah, that's awesome. You do that. I can't do that. And because we can't meet all the needs, I can't feed 5,000. I I'm with a boy's lunch. Because I can't do everything for everybody, I won't do anything for anybody. And I love this leadership principle I read years ago that simply says this: Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. So let me ask you about your table. Is yours a table of provision? Is yours a table that others would be invited to come to? I mean maybe maybe you can't feed them a meal but What about giving them some clothes? I mean, we're we're collecting blankets and clothes all this month in the back of the room, and and some of you go, I can do that. You know, I I mean I I can't pay somebody's rent for them, but I I could get a couple Christmas presents for Project Toy Box and 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 then just help a, a parent or a grandparent to offer Christmas for their kids this year that otherwise wouldn't have any gifts under the tree. Like I can do something. I'll do for at least one what I wish I could do for everyone. See, see, when you express generosity out of the abundance of God's resources and not out of the limitation of your own, what you realize is this. He always has more than enough. More than enough. I I love what happens at the end of that story. Luke chapter 9, verse 17 says, They all ate... And were satisfied in other words they, they, they didn't each get a crouton like it no they all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over and god is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that you could think, ask, or imagine according to his power that is at work through Christ Jesus. So today, we're going to end this service by coming to the table of the Lord. Uh, In the seat in front of you in the cup holder, there's a little communion cup I would invite you to take that. If if you're in the front row of one of these sections and, and need those, you can lift up a hand. Our ushers will help you out. We need a few more. Just be patient as you have your hand up there. They're coming, bringing those communion elements. We'll see later in Luke's gospel that one of the tables is the table of the Lord. But it just seems fitting that on this Sunday before Thanksgiving, we go there now. I want to go there today to the table of the Lord. And as we go to this table, I want to ask you to look at your own table, to look at your own life, to look at your own relationships, not just your relationship with God, but your relationships with other people. As we pull up a seat at The tables and Luke's diner here, it reminds us that these things are available for us. Acceptance is available for you today. Maybe you even struggle to come in to a church like this. I don't know the the internal... Battles that happen in the church parking lot, but I, I've been I've been serving the Lord long enough to know that there's plenty of people that they, they don't even know if they should come in. They don't even know if they should, you know, should I participate in worship? I mean, I haven't been doing this very long. I don't even know if I'm doing it right. Am I welcome here? And just hear Jesus' invitation to Levi. Like uh, you're just so excited about our relationship. You just want to tell everybody. I don't even care who you invite. I'm coming to that party. I'm coming. I want to be a part of your joy and your excitement. And and Jesus just says, you're accepted. You're accepted here. Somebody needs to hear that today. You are accepted. This is not my table. This is not my church. We all just got seated a little bit sooner than you. You're accepted. Some of you need to just embrace that invitation to come to a table of acceptance. To come to a table of forgiveness. See, many of us, we've been sitting here long enough. We, we, know, we know how to fit in. We know the dress code. We know table etiquette. But we're sitting like that religious leader, hoping I'm good enough to earn my spot rather than coming in like Mary with a heart that says, I'm forgiven and I'm just gonna pour out my worship at his feet. I'm not Jesus isn't worried about what it looks like. He's looking at your heart today. And he invites you, he invites me to come again and again to a table of forgiveness. And as we get ready to pray, I want I want to challenge you again, let the Lord search your heart. If there's people in your life that you haven't you haven't forgiven There's people you you are you're dreading the holiday interaction. You're, you're, You're dreading the the polite social moments because it's it's beneath the surface. It's just unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is it's like it's like drinking a vial of poison and waiting for somebody else to die. Unforgiveness is a prison that locks from the inside. And if you're here today, you say, I I just, I gotta be free. And allow the Holy Spirit to let the grace that he's poured over you wash over someone else. It doesn't mean you're accepting what they've done. It doesn't mean that you're justifying their actions. It means you're unlocking the prison you've put yourself in. And you're saying, I'm not gonna allow the person that destroyed my yesterday to live rent-free in my tomorrow. I'm letting go so they can't hold me anymore. Thank you, God, for an invitation to a table of forgiveness.